0: If you're hearing this, you have stumbled across Murder Bucket, the true crime podcast with me, Hannah Palmer. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome back to Tuesday. Is it starting to get cold where you live or like kind of chilly now that it's supposed to be fall? I mean, it is almost October. You would think that the world would know that the moment it hit September 1st, It's fall and spooky season, but apparently Mother Nature didn't figure that out. It's only gotten about to the low 60s in the morning here in Maryland, and then by the afternoon, it's probably in like the mid to high 80s. So not the sweater weather that I normally absolutely love. Anyways, it has been a while since I have done our week slash weekend recap. It's been about a month, I think, because we did our mini episode last week, and then we did the documentary review with my husband two weeks ago, and I completely blanked on doing that week slash weekend recap. Nothing too interesting has really happened this month, except for I ended up going to a neurologist at the beginning of this month. I don't know if I've ever mentioned to you that I have been experiencing a lot of blurriness in my eyes, and I've gone to several different eye doctors, I've gone to several different specialists, and we just can't figure out what's going on. So I decided to just go to my primary care and see what her thoughts were, and she sent me to a neurologist. I've done a couple different tests and some blood work. And we're supposed to figure out what those results are on Thursday. So just keep me in your thoughts, if you wouldn't mind. Be much appreciated. This past Thursday, I had one of my wisdom tooth finally removed after being in agony for about a month. I have lived off of ibuprofen and Tylenol nonstop every single day, and I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. I attended a women's brunch at my church on Saturday, which was fantastic. There were 15 different tables that some of the ladies in the church had decorated. They kind of had a little bit of a theme going on. Then we had brunch, obviously. We had a speaker come and give a little message. We got to just sit and chat, and it was wonderful. One of my very best friends bought a condo recently and is moving out on her own for the first time. So my husband and I went over with a few of our friends last Sunday to help her move some of the things to her condo. She is still waiting for a couple different pieces of furniture to arrive and then she will eventually sleep there, which will be great. It's a perfect condo for her and it's a great location and I hope that she really enjoys it because I think it's absolutely adorable. That is enough about me. Let's go ahead and move on into our topic tonight. And we have Fertility Fraud with Dr. Donald Klein. Donald Klein was born on December 10th, 1938 in Indianapolis, Indiana. He attended Indiana University and received his undergraduate degree. He then attended Indiana University School of Medicine and received a medical degree in obstetrics and gynecology. He interned at IU Health Methodist Hospital and then joined the United States Air Force. He was in active service for two years and then 12 years in inactive reserves until he was honorably discharged. Dr. Klein is a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. This is a surgical subspecialty of obstetrics and gynecology when physicians train in reproductive medicine addressing hormonal functioning as it pertains to reproduction as well as the issue of infertility. He opened his private clinic in 1979 on 86th Street in Indianapolis and he practiced there until 2009. Here is where things get interesting. It all started with Jacoba Ballard. When she was around the age of 10, she asked her mom why she didn't look like anyone in her family. That's when her mother told her that she was donor-conceived. Her father had medical issues to where it made him sterile. In 2014, Jacoba decided to do a DNA test to see if she had any half-siblings. She figured there might be at least one. What she wasn't prepared for was the amount of half-siblings that started to pop up. Her mother was told by the fertility clinic that donor sperm was only used three times max. So with the number of siblings that popped up, she decided to investigate. In the 1970s and 1980s, Dr. Klein was considered to be the best fertility doctor in the United States. Many people from across the country would travel to have treatment from him. One of Jacoba's siblings decided to write to Dr. Klein to see if she could get any answers from him, such as any donor information. His response to her was that he did not keep a record of the donor's identities. Stating, we used fresh samples collected approximately one hour prior to insemination. I would match the blood type of the donor to that of my patient's husband and also his general physical characteristics. I almost always used resident physicians and most were married with children of their own. Also, their family history was entirely negative for any genetic illnesses. Many years later, I could not possibly remember anything else. Jacoba and one of her siblings decided after this interaction with him to launch their own investigation. After researching and building their family tree, they discovered they were genetically related to more than 70 of Dr. Klein's relatives. The closest match was a first cousin. They believe that either Dr. Klein used a sample from one of his relatives or his own. Jacoba stated in the Netflix documentary Our Father that she suspected Dr. Klein might have used his own sperm to impregnate patients without their knowledge. With this possibility, one of the siblings decided to reach out to Dr. Klein's two oldest children. One of his sons, told them that his father confessed to using his sperm, but claimed that it happened no more than 10 times. That ended up not being the case as more and more siblings popped up on 23andMe. Every time a new sibling popped up, Jacoba would reach out to them and let them know what was going on. Of course, many of them were caught off guard. She spent hours on the phone with them each time. Jacoba then decided to reach out to Dr. Klein's children again to see if he would agree to a meeting with her and four of the siblings. She recalls in the documentary that when he showed up, he showed no emotion and remained calm. During the meeting, he asked each of his quote-unquote children to give him their name, their age, and what they did as a career. In an article on Salon.com, Jacoba is quoted saying, It was almost like he was ranking us. Like, let me see which one of my offspring made it to the top. I felt like we were being judged. Jacoba proceeded to ask him to detail his medical history because after speaking with the siblings and learning more about them before this meeting, many of them suffer from autoimmune disorders. Dr. Klein, however, stated that there was nothing to worry about. That did not go over with Jacoba at all. He then proceeded to share a scripture with her, Jeremiah 1.5, that reads, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. According to Dr. Klein, this was to quote-unquote help her cope with the news. She didn't appreciate this and is quoted in the documentary saying, you are not going to use my God to justify your actions. Dr. Klein was then asked why he decided to use his own sperm, and his response was that he was trying to help desperate mothers and families. He then reassured them that there were only 15 siblings in total, no more. Well. That turned out to be another lie. Jacoba and four other siblings then filed a complaint with Indiana's Attorney General stating that Dr. Klein used his own sperm in patients and asked them for an investigation. For a while, they didn't respond, so they continued to send letters, emails, and left voicemails. In January of 2015, the Attorney General's office finally decided to start an investigation and sent Dr. Klein two letters. In the letter, it stated that he had 20 days to respond. In his response, he cited an Indiana statute that stated that doctors only had to keep records on patients for seven years after their last treatment. Those records had long been destroyed. Klein went on to say that he had performed artificial inseminations from 1971 to 1981 using fresh sperm. He reaffirmed what he had told all of his patients, that he did not use the same donor more than three pregnancies. He said that sometime in the late 1980s, he stopped using fresh sperm and started using frozen samples from Folis Laboratories in Indianapolis a new standard of care that was started around the same time by the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. Dr. Klein then accused Jacoba and one of the other siblings of slander. The Attorney General's office decided to send a subpoena to Folis Laboratories. There were no records there showing them ever working with Dr. Klein or his clinic. Jacoba then decided to reach out to different news outlets across the world, and out of all the places that she contacted, only one news outlet reached back out. Angela Gannett from Fox 59 began reaching out to Dr. Klein to get his side of the story. She was able to secure a meeting with him. Before the story aired... Dr. Klein called Jacoba and asked her to not speak with anyone else. He was fearful that this news was going to damage his marriage and his reputation within the church. In an article on Fox59.com, it states that Dr. Klein was once an elderman with Zionsville Fellowship and that the church did not know he used his own sperm until the story broke. They stated, that Dr. Klein admitted to them that what he did was unethical, and because he showed remorse, no disciplinary action was taken with them. They did state that if they had known the magnitude of what he did back then, they would have removed him from his position of authority. While the Attorney General's office continued their investigation, so did Jacoba. As DNA testings became more popular, more and more siblings started popping up. Jacoba recalls that after the news story broke on Fox 59, a string of weird things began happening. All of the lug nuts on all of her tires were removed and missing. One of the siblings had their computer hacked, and the only thing missing were the files pertaining to Dr. Klein. Another sibling received harassing phone calls from a cemetery asking if she wanted to purchase a plot for her to be buried in. Many suspect that Dr. Klein himself had something to do with this, even though he denies everything. In 2016, Dr. Klein was arrested after the Attorney General's office learned that he had lied in one of the statements that he had given them. He first claimed that he did not use his own sperm without his patient's consent or knowledge. He later admitted to it after the Attorney General's office tested his DNA and proved that he was lying. He was then charged with two counts of obstruction of justice in 2017, for which he pleaded guilty. At the time, There was no law that would criminalize Dr. Klein for using his own sperm without patient consent, so he served no jail time and was only ordered to pay a $500 fine plus court cost. He also lost his medical license. In November of 2016, Elizabeth White, who was a patient of Dr. Klein's, filed a proposed complaint and requested a jury trial with the State of Indiana Department of Insurance. Her complaint stated negligence, constructive fraud, battery, breach of contract, breach of express warranty, and negligent hiring or retention as to the defendant and reproductive endocrinology associates. She then filed a multi-count complaint with a Marion Superior Court. Dr. Klein motioned for dismissal of this complaint, but that was declined. The Indiana Court of Appeals agreed with the lower court's decision, finding that breach of contract and tort claims for which relief can be granted. Two other donor children and their families filed civil cases against Dr. Klein and his group, the Indianapolis Infertility Incorporated. In each of these cases, they settled for around $100,000, which is considered the maximum liability for a qualified healthcare provider. It states in an article on Fox59.com that because the civil suits cover events that happened in the 1970s and 1980s, a medical malpractice cap of $500,000 likely applies. According to the previous mentioned article, Dr. Klein has paid more than $1.3 million in civil suits. While the documentary was very eye-opening, there were two women who sued Netflix and the creators for identifying them without their consent as two of Dr. Klein's children. According to an article on WTHR.com, the women filed their lawsuits separately in May of 2022. The lawsuits state that they were approached by the creators and told that no one's identity would be revealed without explicit consent. It shows that the company reiterated this promising in writing. One of those came from producer Michael Petrella and says this, I know that some of you are more comfortable than others being involved. You will not be identified unless you've been given us permission to do so. The lawsuit also claims that both women's names and photos were shown, even though one of them never gave the producer a photo. The lawsuit further claims that by identifying them as Dr. Klein's children, it has caused them severe harm, including but not limited to the reputational injury, distress, embarrassment, and emotional trauma. They've asked both the producers and Netflix to stop using their names, image, or likeness to identify them. Now, Dr. Klein isn't the first doctor to be accused of using his own sperm to inseminate his patients. In the 1990s, federal prosecutors had a case against Cecil Jacobson, a fertility doctor in Virginia. He is accused of fathering as many as 75 children. While there were no laws prohibiting a doctor from donating sperm or impregnating an unwitting woman, he was convicted of 52 counts of perjury and fraud. This included fraud for bills he sent patients he deceived and wire fraud for phone calls to them. According to an article on Jezebel.com, more than 50 doctors have been accused of lying to their patients and fathering children using their own genetic material around the globe. A woman in Texas did a DNA test online and found out that her biological father was her mother's fertility doctor. She is now advocating for a bill that would make a doctor using his own sperm criminal sexual assault. As of 2019, the bill has passed the state Senate. There are also lawsuits in Idaho, Vermont, California, Canada, and the Netherlands from former patients or their children accusing the doctors of using their own sperm. In May of 2019, Indiana's governor signed a law that makes fertility fraud a felony. California has a general fertility fraud law, but Indiana's is the first to single out fertility doctors using their own reproductive material. The law also sets in place a longer statute of limitations, which allows victims to bring suit. It also gives an option for $10,000 of liquidated damages or victims can proceed to a lawsuit. In addition to the parents who were the former patients, it also allows adult children conceived through fertility fraud to sue. Nine other states have enacted fertility fraud bills. A law professor at Indiana University states that she has been contacted by several people involved in fertility doctor cases that have not yet become public. And as of today, there are at least 94 biological children discovered, and Dr. Klein holds the title of the most prolific fertility fraud doctor there is. I would highly recommend you check out the documentary Our Father on Netflix regarding the fertility fraud with Dr. Donald Klein. You can also check out our episode from two weeks ago if you would like just a quick synopsis regarding this documentary. Before you go, please take a moment to listen to this promo from my friends at the Geese Bumps podcast. Have a great evening. The monster blood changed direction, still bouncing and quivering and leaving white stains on the grass like enormous round footsteps. Joe, stop reading it. This is too scary for me. You're right. It is too scary. If only we could talk about Goosebumps in a way that isn't scary. Well, guess what, nerds? There might be a podcast like that called Geesebumps. Geesebumps? Did you mean Goosebumps? Maybe. Geesebumps is a comedy podcast based on the works of R.L. Stein, hosted by me, Danielle phd and me jojo phd and me jeff regular person featuring goofs funny voices and the occasional critical thought Geese Geese bumps. Bumps. available on podbean and everywhere else podcasts can be found thanks for sticking around to the end be sure to follow me on facebook instagram and twitter